Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello. This is the Brickflix Fryfest preview series 2019. The Brickflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it, and you're done, and it'll be really helpful. Trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the Britflix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. Frightfest 2019 preview series and welcome to the show Juan Otis. Hello thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure absolute pleasure. Um, I always find this little this little <laughs> this little kind of lull where I've got to I've gone from hello let's have a preamble to hello let's start the show. Um, it's kind of this uh, <laughs> yeah dear listener uh, we've just had about a 10 minute chat but then we've now pretended to say hello again. Um, yeah. it's uh it's the words beat 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 <laughs> in a screenplay <laughs> yeah hello beat <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so your film that's played at Frightfest this year is fingers it's your second feature film um so before we do anything and i'll put a link in the show notes so people can check locations and times and stuff uh, and ticket details if they're not on a on a on a festival pass um do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what fingers is about yeah, sure. Fingers is about um, a man who shows up to work uh, missing a pinky, and it does something absolutely crazy to his boss's mind. She kind of realizes that she's got probably bigger issues than the guy who's missing uh, the pinky. Really? So the, the missing pinky is, is a trigger to something a whole lot worse or crazier? Uh, yes, and definitely yes. <laughs> right then. Now, before we get into more detail about you having written and directed this movie, um, 
and the making of the movie. Uh, it's 20 years of Frightfest this year, so I'm asking everybody to sort of hark back to when they turn 20 or something from their 20th year that they might want to share with the Frightfest anniversary. Yeah, yeah so... Um... The biggest thing that happened to me was I took um, I went to a film school here in Orlando, Florida, and I took a screenwriting class that was like a prerequisite. No one, you didn't have to take the screenwriting class, but um, the the film school that I went to was more about production and and how movies are made and less about theory. Right. Uh, so they they did have some you know editing classes and they had some prerequisites that were more geared towards above the line. So I remember sitting down uh, in this class, and this wonderful uh, teacher uh, told the class that they can do everything on the syllabus and they will get a B. But if you hand in a screenplay and did nothing, you would get an A. Because that was a screenwriting class for screenwriters. And if you're starting a screenplay and if you can finish your screenplay, Hand it in. That's how you get an A in the class. And I looked around. There was like 20 of us or so, 22, 17 of us, something like that. Mm. And I thought, God, I wonder how many people are going to actually hand in a feature-length screenplay. And I'm looking around the class, and I did it, and two other people did it. So that whole entire class, there were three people that got A's. And I was just, it was just one of those things that, you know, it it, it just lit a uh, fire under under my ass and. I definitely wasn't going to get a B in screenwriting. Um, so say that again. What, 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 was, what, what did a B entail? Then? A B would just be turn it would be what? Oh well, like it's like a grading system. A is like excellent. B is pretty good. Oh C no, no, is no, 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 that no. I went, what did you say? I missed what you see. So, so I got the fact that if you delivered a feature length screenplay, you get an A. And what? Yeah. What, what did you have to do to get a B? No, just like the little assignments, like learn about uh, the hero's journey and just like oh, okay. little homework assignments and things like that. Yeah. Well, um, God, I wish I'd got that class. Yeah, he was a great guy, a guy named Wayne Carter. And it was funny because he had these he, – he was one of these people, and I guess they're everywhere uh, in what we do. It's like they're almost – like they got so close, you know, right. like he was buddies with James Cameron and – his uh, other writer friends are very successful, and he almost had success. And then people were always optioning his screenplays when he was in his twenties, and that just never panned out. So he just kind of went to teaching. It was, it was fascinating. It's a great, great, um, you know, teacher. I remember bumping into him like three years later, and he had no idea who I was. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> but then, in that sense, though, do you remember any any nugget of advice you got from him that you, that you know that's still still consistent to how you approach screenwriting? I, you know, it was interesting. The biggest we would, it's funny because I felt like we watched more movies in screenwriting class than we did in any of the any of the other film classes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and it wasn't like life advice. It was just like, you know, writing advice. I think we were watching Midnight Cowboy or something, and and he was talking about how it's very important to know your characters don't have to walk into a room and leave a room. It's not a play. They could, you could just go anywhere and do anything that you want. And it was just like one of those things where I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I have a bad habit of always kind of, when I first started writing, I have a bad habit of kind of restricting my characters. They have to walk in here or hop into a car, go, go here, go there. Uh, so that was, uh, that was really interesting. That's what I could remember. That's, that's, small, that's, that's, that's quite sound though, that, because in a way that's a, 
a, ra a more specific way of saying the more general advice, which is um, arrive late, leave early from a scene. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, just have them sat, you know, putting wood on a fire and start the scene, and he's just lighting it already. We don't need to walk in a room with a pile of wood, make a pile of wood where the fireplace is, find some matches, and then light a fire. <laughs> That's true. But if you work to do that, if you keep on doing that, it's kind of funny if you're writing a comedy. Say that again, sorry. So if you were if you were writing a screenplay where someone did all this work to set a fire and it kept on happening throughout your movie, that could be pretty funny, I guess. It'd be, to be honest with you, though, yeah, thinking about it, I've, I've recently written a time loop movie, and actually what I just described would be very good as a repetitive action. <laughs> <laughs> right. Every time he lit the fire, every time he lit the fire, he went back in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> great. I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, yeah. Right then. Good segue then with your screenwriting uh, memories of being 20. Um, let's start with the beginning of Fingers then. So for you as the person sitting there with a uh, with no film project to do and however you compile your screenplays, whether that be you know your notepad, your journal, your index cards, your tape recorders or whatever, or you know reading the news or whatever it was. So for you, what was the kernel of, of an idea that set you on the path that ended up being Fingers? Uh, I don't remember exactly how or why um, that idea popped into my head. Maybe I was in a car driving down the highway, and all I knew was there was a guy who shows up to work, and he's missing a pinky. And that's all I knew. And originally, it was about these, you know, hordes of people that follow him, and, uh, you know, it, it just... Kind of, it was just swimming in my mind, and then when I when I went away from uh, Walter, the fellow who's missing a pinky, and I kind of leaped onto Amanda, um, I knew that I could tell that story now because it it really wasn't about this guy. Like, what do you? I could do crazy things to the guy and follow him, or I could tell this other story, which seemed more exciting than me. Um, uh, the, the original Colonel, I mean, I think it was about maybe a week of just thinking and thinking and, and, and thinking, and, and then I leaped on, you know, the Amanda character and kind of followed her and her reaction, and the movie became about her. Can, can um, you talk about that then? Because I think it's something I like, that's something I like to do myself. It's like the notion of letting something percolate as opposed to diving in and doing Right. That's to me. That's really important. I mean, in my head, you're going to write a feature. You need ideas, and it does take time for the good ideas to kind of settle uh, settle in. Mm. Originally, um, it, it was so different uh, fingers from like what I was originally thinking to what I ended up writing. It was it's it's strange how different it could be when you first think of something. And you have one idea that's just it just it just smashes everything else. And you pick up the pieces of everything else, and then you just start you know putting them in a, in a, in place. Um, it's it, listen, you need time to write a good story. You need time, and you need to be a thinker. And yeah, it's it's really important. I will say that I wrote fingers pretty quick. Though I wrote this thing in like less than two months, and I usually take like I don't know. I mean. I've taken a couple of years and I've taken four months, you know, 
finishing fingers it was probably within a month when i first started writing it uh i wrote it and i gave it to my producer uh, and that was like about a month but thinking about it uh it's probably like another two months to three months and usually it's years before i start writing something that i you know been thinking about there is there's a, a, a recent thing i did was 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 much quicker than i'd ever done before and there's there are rewards to sort of even if they're only your own false deadlines of getting something done because it kind of it doesn't necessarily get you to the right place but it gets you a lot bloody nearer than than nothing at all sometimes oh it's it's you know you have these books right that are 10 pages a day and all these (laughs) other kinds of things and i have a friend he's a wonderful wonderful guy but it's so funny because he went through this phase where any book with a kind of you know uh catchy title about screenwriting he would go and he would buy and he would read instead of just sitting down and and uh you know writing Mm. deadlines are good and I'm I when I sit down and write if I'm really going to dedicate myself I don't worry about page count anymore I just want one new idea when I'm going in because I don't really outline okay Uh, I'll do something small like I'll know where I'm going. I know the end of the story and I know that I'm allowed to change the end of the story if I if I need to. I give myself that freedom. Mm-hmm. And when I sit down, I need to have an idea. I I want an idea. And I, I usually I'm pretty lucky. I'll just go back to page 1 even if it's like I'm on page 70. I'll just sit there and just read from page 1 and by the time I get to page 70, I'm like in it. I'm in that zone, you know? And I'm feeling something and I'll get one little idea. And sometimes I'll get two. Sometimes I'll get an idea, uh, go back the next day and go, that was a bad idea. And I'll just get rid of it and I'll dive back in. Um, but so that's how, that's how my, how my mind works now. But deadlines are wonderful. When I first started writing, I, I was like that. It was like, all right, here you go. The end of the week, this many pages. It doesn't matter if you erase those pages, go. And, um, uh, you know, that's you, you have to do it right. I mean, we both know like you have to sit down. You have to make those pages happen. Uh, it's called work. You have to do it. Indeed. Indeed. There is no there is no clay on the table until you put the clay on the table. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Right then. So um, <clears throat> making this movie and it be, you know, movies, movies at the best of times are always sort of constrained by resources and finances. Um so for you, when you when you'd finished that screenplay and you were moving into producing it, is there anything you can think of in particular that, that sort of stood out on the page that you were thinking, right? That's there's there's the there's not necessarily the money shot, but there's the big challenging point for me about what I'm going to get in the can. Um, challenging, yes. So you know, the movie's about a guy who gets his pinky cut off, and I, you know, I don't, I don't this is all privately funded from like myself and my friends and things like this. So that needed to look good. Mm. So that was scary. Uh, I, I think it did look good. I think it looked quite good. I thought we, we lucked out with some super talented people, mm. uh, here in Orlando. So there was that aspect, but one of the biggest things is, you know, you write your screenplay and then it's like the universe tells you what you can get from it. Right. Mm. I had, Many scenes, uh, written, not many, but a few scenes that I just couldn't do because I didn't have the time. There's a schedule too, right? right? 
Like you have to, you can't just, you know, kind of wing it. You're not like a band that meets up on Saturdays. You really have to be disciplined on, on the production side of, you know, your film. You schedule it out and then you really know what you have time for. Uh, I'm working on a huge television show right now as a normal job. I'm a location manager, mm. a key assistant location manager, and they deal with the same thing. Their problems that, the, that these folks have on this super big television show are the same problems that I had making fingers. They're the same problems that, uh, that you're going to run into making your feature. Um, and a lot of it, is time. Sure. It could be a special effects shot. It could be a shot inside of a moving car that you realize looks like crap when you're actually there mm. because you can't afford to put the car on a trailer and, you know, have all this stuff. Um, there are a lot of little things that are going to pop up and surprise you with fingers, special effects. I was scared about took care of that. Mm. And then, and then it was just, um, realizing that some scenes had to be kind of thinned out a little bit. And I don't think that um, it hurt the movie. There, there were things in there that just didn't take place. And also, you don't get, when you don't have much of a budget, you don't get to, you don't have the freedom of just buying any location you want. You kind of get stuck with whatever's out there. And we got super lucky uh, but as a director, I had to, you know, adjust what the woods looked like in my mind. In my mind, the woods looked very different than what's in this particular film. But then again, we got 30 acres to play with. And I was very, very fortunate. So it's oh, just yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting balancing act where you just have to, you know, see what you have and still make that happen. Because there's there's always going to be a reason to say, I'm not going to do this. We're not going to do it. Not, we can't get that shot. But you, you better change the shot or you might not finish your movie. Now, uh, for people who, who, who've who seen Greasy Strangler, they're going to recognise one of your cast, aren't they? Michael St. Michaels. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> he's, he's hard not to recognise at the best of times, isn't he? <laughs> <clears throat> so where, how, did, how, did you get, how did you get someone like him involved in the project? I um, have a couple of friends, uh, Christian Stella, my cinematographer, and Jeremy Gardner. Uh, I grew up with these two people. And they had made a movie called Tex Montana that played at the Chattanooga Film Festival a few years before. I was in Atlanta working on a, a television show. I was like a facilities manager or something. Hmm. And they were in Chattanooga. So I took a trip out there to go visit uh, my buddies in Chattanooga. Um, and, yeah, I met Michael St. Michael's there. We had a cool conversation. And when I was, you know, writing fingers, I just thought, my God, this guy would be like the perfect weird gangster and I needed something that was just off I didn't want to I, I wanted to do something kind of funny like the gangsters in um, some of these other movies like I'm trying a blank what's the Jim Jarmusch movie uh, Ghost Dog right some of those gangsters are just so funny to me and I think maybe that's where I got that from uh, sort of and uh, yeah so I just met him he was a real good guy and I just emailed him and said hey listen this is what the movie's about and you know, could you do it? And he said yes, and that was that. And it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Jeremy Gardner because I was talking to Eric, who did uh, Sadistic Intentions. Where yeah, I love Eric. I love Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Jer Jeremy, so this is two films that Jeremy's going to be featuring in at uh, Frightfest this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Gardner. I knew that guy since he was I don't know, sixteen or something like that. We grew up together. So. Really? Yeah. We, 
Yeah, we we were we we were rival filmmakers at one point. Uh, it's funny, him and his uh, group of friends were making movies, and I had a group of friends that we were making movies, but you know, those guys were very, very talented. And it's funny because through life, you know, you live, you, you, you do your thing and then, it, you know, you, the leaves fall off and only some leaves stick. And so I kept in it. Jeremy kept in it. Christian Stella kept in it. And, you know, so we help each other. I actually uh, helped them on their last movie, something else that's playing at film festivals around the world this year. So yeah, we just, we always work together. Cool. So you've got you mentioned the character Amanda and uh, Walter being the sort of main ones. So you got Sabina Friedman's yeah. sets, is it? Sites. Yes. Sites. Sorry, um, as your lead, and then you. It, I, I'm guessing is 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 she, is she given what you've said? She's the hero of the story, and Walter's the kind of antagonistic force in her story, or is or are they do they partner up and and things go wrong together? I think Walter's more of like a magnet to. Uh all those evil forces, you know, uh, the, the journey is she's going to find, it's like this two through lines essentially in her mind where she needs to find out what's going on with Walter and she needs to fix herself at the same time. Got you. So in that sense then, so what did you, how did you, in casting those two people, was it, how, how did you work on the sort of chemistry between those two? Did you keep them apart? Did you bring them together? Did you debrief them? How did you work with them as a director? You know, I, believe that and maybe this is crazy uh and maybe i'm saying this because i haven't made uh many movies yeah. but you know i think the chemistry gets born when you're editing the movie i'm not a fan of keeping people apart or you know uh, having them go on a fake movie date so they can get chemistry or anything like that at all it's just me i mean if it works for other people it's fine i don't feel the need to do that you're an actor you show up you know, boom, you're Walter, boom, you be Amanda, you go kick ass. And I'm lucky because they did kick ass. Hmm. Um, that's why I cast them. So I feel like a lot of that is the director's job to hmm. make that happen. And I don't think that, you know, a movie date or separating them or anything like that is going to really have an effect on, on what people are watching when they, you know, when they steal your movie or they pay to see it. I think that, um, you know, that's just the director directing and it's just, you know, the editor's editing. That's so you, where that, so, so it sounds like you, you're you in full belief of most of the directing's done in the actual casting. You cast the right person, you, you're onto a winner. Absolutely. I mean, it's a kind of funny because if you just put a camera, medium shots, the whole entire movie, uh, you got a medium and a close-up and a close-up, like if it's a soap opera. Hmm. And if your story's strong enough, the aesthetics probably won't be so pleasing. But, uh, you know, if you cast it right, you know, people are probably going to watch your movie. The story's there and the casting's there. Casting is what someone said. I was watching that documentary film school and someone said, casting is 90% of directing is casting. And I, I kind of believe that, you know? I think it's missed that. From, the, from this series of podcasts, I've learned that that's, I think the quote's attributed to Francis Ford Coppola. Ah, well, there you go. He knew, he knew what he was doing, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was all right. That guy was all right. <laughs> Now, for the look and feel of the film, you uh, you had uh, Christian Stella as your cinematographer. So, yes. what was your conversations like with Christian before making the film about about what you what you wanted, or what was his conversation with you about where you intended to shoot and what was achievable? Now, the greatest thing about Christian is he's so much more than a cinematographer, and I got so lucky uh, when he was, said he would help me out. 
So just as an aside, he's just, you know, even with the notes on the screenplay and kind of overseeing the movie with his, you know, technical knowledge, it's just, I'm so lucky to have him involved, uh, specifically with the screenplay. You know, we didn't go crazy with a shot list beforehand. Mm. Um, I'll tell you why I felt comfortable just showing up and kind of having a conversation with him and being very comfortable with that. I met Sabina on the set of the Florida Project. She was um, like a stand-in or a PA type of person. I don't know. Yeah. And we became buddies on that movie. And I watched Sean Baker direct that movie. And he would show up to set and he just had the ideas right then and right there. It was tough on the production because you have a call sheet and it was kind of irrelevant because if he thought of something else, that's what we were doing. We weren't going to follow this piece of paper. And that's how we liked working. And it was awesome to watch. And it was really, uh, it was something that I, I wasn't crazy. Like I thought about my shots before mm. I went in there, but I, we weren't married to anything. And that was my, my whole thing was like, we can't just, if we have to wing something, then we have to be smart enough to just think of, you know, the shots and think about, what we're doing on the day if this movie is going to be a success because we don't have that much money to make it a success. We have to like change things. It's going to happen. So let's just dive in knowing that's the case. We'll plan, but we can't get married to the plans. And this is what I was thinking. This is what Christian had, you know, told me like how he wanted to go about it. And it was, it was absolutely perfect. And, you know, there were really, really wonderful moments where I wanted to go get an extra, shot or some more coverage of something and he's just like why don't why think about it like where is that going to live in your edit and i would just stop and i would think and i'd be like yeah you're right we don't need that or there's another so this, time. Is, so this is cinematographer saying we don't giving you the, the the kind of thumbs up you don't need something yeah we were very um honest with each other and i i loved working with him it was mm. you know i think the relationship between like a director and a cinematographer is it's the most important relationship on set i mean that is that's your you know that it's the most important one to me you can have an actor that's kind of shitty you can have you know all other people around you that are kind of meh or whatever but mm. your cinematographer and the director you guys you know you have to be looking at at things the same and you have to trust each other you know i trusted christian and at the end of the day he trusted me and and um i you know i don't know you make a movie uh, you don't know what's going to happen to it i still don't know what's going to happen to fingers you know it's getting into these amazing film festivals i mean i i kind of can't believe i got enough right fest it was amazing you know so yeah. so so thinking great. thinking about that approach can can you think of a a a, a, a scene or a sequence that you might have gone to bed thinking it'll be this, and then when you got there in the morning and you surrounded by everybody, you went, "No, let's do it this way," giving yourself that flexibility. Can you think of an example where you where you did make that conscious decision to go somewhere that wasn't where you expected, even yourself? Well, yes, but not that not exactly in that way. I mean, I certainly had the freedom to mm. do that. That's what Christian and I talked about. But there yeah. were certainly moments where. You know, we had to make the day and, and the coverage that I originally wanted just couldn't work. I remember being – the end of this movie is just, you know, it's out there. Mm. And it's supposed to be out there because the characters' brains are out there. And I wanted this through line to kind of match their um, 
their emotions. Uh, sometimes people get that. Some people don't get that. Whatever. But at, we were filming the, the the end of the movie. You know, the day was kind of dying on us, and we just needed to get done. And it wasn't like people were going to stick around for an extra day because that just wasn't going to happen. Right. And uh, yeah, I remember we Christian and I were we kind of broke away, and I was thinking, and he was thinking, and we ended up. Uh, pulling it off so what you're saying yeah but more of like an emergency like oh oh my gosh and also <laughs> also with the with the edit the end of this movie kind of uh kind of leaps back and forth between these two different through lines and it was re- really not supposed to be that way in my head originally but it, it works it I, worked i was going to so. say that's my next question really so 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 uh you were quite close with the editor because you're the editor yeah. <laughs> so you're shooting a movie, conscious of being the editor. Now, I've, uh, um, Alfred Hitchcock was, you know, sort of was a, an editor before he was a director. Um, and I remember, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but he was shooting a movie, and when the editor was getting the rushes, he he was panicking because he said he he said to uh, apparently he fed back to Hitchcock, he went, um, "I've got the rushes, but there's a problem. There's there's these. It keeps blacking out." He goes, no, he said, that's where I want you to cut. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he hadn't stopped editing even when he was shooting. And, that's awesome. Um, and I, I can't claim if I know that's true. I just know that story. But I like, so obviously if you're, if you're shooting for yourself to edit, knowing you're going to edit, are you, are you able to sort of keep your hat separate, as it were, as in get the coverage, get the shots, and worry about the edit after? Or are you conscious of how much this is going to feed the edit and what you're going to hope to achieve? Listen, it's a great question, and I direct for the edit. Like, I feel like I know where this stuff is going to live, and I couldn't – it couldn't be any other way. Even if you're just shooting for coverage just to know what's going to edit together, like in my head, and I want to see the edit. I need to see that cut. So when I dive in, I – I feel like I know where the inserts are going to be. I know we're all how all this is going to work together. And but sometimes, <clears throat> pardon me. Sometimes it you could be off. It could be that your idea wasn't there. Whatever this thing was playing in your head is not doing it in 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 real life. So you do have to turn as you say your heart you got to turn that off and then you got to find something else that works uh nothing wrong obviously with getting what you need to make sure you can put the scenes together but i have a pretty damn good idea of what's going on um and a lot of times it works and sometimes it just doesn't work it's fascinating to to go into the edit room being really sure of yourself and then realizing it just it's just not doing it and it's also fascinating to think about the times where you secretly knew that maybe this wasn't going to work and you didn't have anything else backing you up and then you cut it together and you know your producers or you know someone gives you just a few little notes here and there and then it ends up being just you know better than you thought it was going to be so you know the terror kind of evaporates it's I was going to say so was, I was going to say what was what for you was the most exciting find in the edit that you you couldn't have expected before seeing it all compiled together it's funny because the the most exciting find in the edit has a lot to do with our score by Ryan Winford okay. um because that was interesting um 
because there were things in the edit that I didn't realize in my head emotionally had these peaks to it. You know, there's a moment of like this crazy violence. And then after this crazy violence, there's like this soft score that kind of kicks in. And just to me, and, you know, I'm also just watching the movie like other people. Obviously, I'm a lot closer. But to me, it just peaked in my head. I'm like, oh, like this is just this. It's like, you know, the storm passes. It ruins everything. And then it's like sunshine, you know. I remember in my life living in Florida, going through those experiences, and it's kind of the same thing that happens. So in the edit, there were like there were three moments where Ryan's score matched the edit so perfect that I just didn't realize that that these little moments in the movies in the movie, pardon me, even existed. And it was just wonderful. I don't know if I'm articulating that well. No, no, because obviously if we could bottle what you've just described, we'd be able to make films perfect all the time, wouldn't we? That idea idea of a synchronicity between what you felt shooting and editing and what your composer felt while putting music together to suit those images is, is quite magic. If you just, for the first time hearing it, went, that's it. That's the moment. Because uh, films, if, if they're nothing else, they are those moments that make us feel, think, or what, uh, you know, whatever. They, they get a reaction from us. And that can be like you just, you know, you, you articulate perfectly, you know, where the music makes you think of other things in your life, you know, because the film's doing it at the, at the same time. No, I think that it makes sense if, if you want to make it sense, if that's, if that's even, right. more, <laughs> even more cryptic. You know, it's almost like it's almost like if you enjoy films, then you're going to get what you've said. If you see what I mean, if you don't enjoy films, then you're probably going, "What's he talking about? Moments and music for?" But then, right. why they listen to his podcast? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. There's a guy out there going, "Oh gosh, these guys again." They hit play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this guy again talking to filmmakers. I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm 400 in, and he just keeps asking the same questions. <laughs> When's he going to talk about farming? Um, <laughs> yeah, he's waiting. He's waiting. For that. <laughs> Stuart, don't disappoint me. So look, let's tell people then, when can they see Fingers at Fright Fest? They can see Fingers on Friday, 11 p.m. And, uh, man, I don't even know the date. I'm terrible. Is the 23rd? Is the 23rd of August? I'm going to say, yeah. But I'm going to put a link in the show notes, so don't you worry your head too much. Um, it says the okay. dates on everyone. And I should know this. I've been done 10 of these podcasts already, but even my mind's gone <laughs> blank as we talk. But it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. All right. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to go to, to London. Never been out there. It's going to be fun. Well, uh, if we see each other, we should at least shake hands in the real world. And if there's more time, which I'm sure there will be, we should have a cold one somewhere. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I would love that. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.